0: Again, the doors close at four o'clock Pacific today. You can sign up at kathyhaar.com slash join. I cannot wait to spend 12 weeks with you and watch you become a master at manifesting the most gorgeous experiences and opportunities and abundance into your life.
1: The greatest gift that you can give to another person is to receive from that person. What it communicates to that person is that that person has something to give. It gives him the gift of dignity. So, by receiving, it's not a selfish endeavor. It's actually the highest form of giving. The highest form of giving is to receive.
0: Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. So to all of you who are celebrating Thanksgiving today, I'm wishing you just such a beautiful day. And for everyone who's not celebrating, I'm wishing you such a beautiful day. I hope that wherever you are, you have some time for yourself. You have some time to spend with people you love. You have some time to reflect on what you're really grateful for. And the truth is, Way could we use to do that every single day? And um, I hope that you know how grateful I am for you. I want to just use this as a, another opportunity. If I haven't said it a thousand times, if I haven't said it hundreds of times, I'm going to say it again. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so grateful for you being in my life. This podcast is such a gift. It's more than just episodes that I record. This has become such a beautiful community. I've gotten to connect with so many of you through Instagram DMs and through programs we do and emails. And I just love you so much. I feel so incredibly blessed that our paths have crossed and that in such a busy, busy world and in a world that has both darkness and lightness, I just feel like this corner of the internet, this corner of the world, this community is so rare. It's so good. It's so beautiful. It's so kind. It's so filled with people who are committed to doing good and being good and seeking purpose and seeking ways to just make the world more beautiful. So I just want to say thank you because you're the best and I wouldn't be doing this without you. So today I'm going to play for you a really special conversation. I felt especially since I'm celebrating Thanksgiving here in the States. That it would be nice to have a conversation about the more meaningful, essential things in life. And so you're going to hear from a very good friend of mine, David Sachs, and another very dear friend of our families, Rabbi Seidenfeld. David Sachs has been on the show before. He's actually a very successful TV writer and producer. He's worked on shows like Third Rock from the Sun, Malcolm in the Middle, The Simpsons. And he's brilliant. He's also a scholar of Jewish mysticism and Jewish thought and Talmudic ideas. And he's also an incredible husband and father. And he's just one of my most favorite people. You're also going to hear, like I said, from Rabbi Shlomo Seidenfeld. And he is so important in my life. My husband and I actually met in his living room. He was giving a, a class on the Bible and all the mystical ideas of the Bible And he used to give that class for years at his living room. And that's where I met my husband. And then he married my husband and I. And then each of my three daughters were named in his living room. We had a baby naming there. And he's shown up for me in ways that I I couldn't even put words to. Him and his wife and his beautiful family are so important to us. And he is such a bastion of kindness and such a beacon of light and hope. His father is actually a Holocaust survivor. And It's amazing to me that somebody who has come from just a a family of so much trauma can turn his own life and, and everything that his family has done is just, it's absolute gold. It's love personified. And so I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. I hope that this is nourishment for your soul. There's a lot of beautiful nuggets in here that might just give you a feeling of beauty in your day. So... I hope you enjoy this. Take a listen, Rabbi Aaron is on a trip, so I asked David Sachs if he would say a few words, and Rabbi Seidenfeld always has a beautiful melody to share from his heart. So David, I'm going to say, why don't you start? And then we'll just we'll just enjoy yeah, this.
2: Let's go for it. So I've written this manuscript. It's a book. I'm just starting to get it out there a little bit. I don't quite know what to do with it, honestly. But um, they're like one-page essays. And for some reason, I'm selecting this one. It's very short, but I want to read it to you. Just because it just comes to mind for some reason. It's called Letting Go. And I will read it. Growing up in New York City, one of the things that no one taught me was how to safely tie a heavy box to the top of a car. After I moved to Los Angeles, I bought a bookcase, and the time came for me to do just that. I did my best. Was shocked that it went as smoothly as it did, hopped in the car, and headed off to a meeting that I couldn't be late for. While doing 60 miles per hour on the freeway, I saw an alarming sight in my rear view mirror. It was my bookcase sliding down the back of my car onto oncoming traffic. Realizing that if I didn't do something fast, the bookcase could cause an accident, I pulled over to the side of the road and quickly came to the conclusion that I was stuck. There was no way to reattach the box. I also realized that I never properly attached it to begin with. Cars were whizzing by. I was in danger of being late to the appointment that I couldn't be late for. And I just paid $150 for something that I had no idea how to get safely home. Then my friend said something brilliant. Why don't you just leave it here? By the side of the road? But I just paid $150 for this. I know. But what kind of solution was that? It made no sense. But then I gave it some thought. Just leave it here by the side of the road, I asked. Just let it go. Suddenly, I felt a million pounds lighter. We jumped in the car, drove off, and I got to my appointment on time. Do you know how many grievances we carry around with us wherever we go? Not only is lugging them around cumbersome, but they stop us from getting to go where we need to. The problem is they become so much a part of our inner landscape that it never even occurs to us that we can let them go. Besides, we don't want to. We're too busy waiting for that triumphant moment where we get to be right, apologize to, and prove to ourselves that the toxic homebrew we've been drinking all these years finally paid off. Except there's one problem. That moment is never going to happen. So let it go. All of it. You didn't lose. In fact, you won. Those grievances were never your friends, even if you did spend years hanging out with them. Leave them by the side of the road and hit the gas. You have no idea how much lighter you're going to
1: feel.
0: Mm, So good.
1: May I? Go for it. You know, because this is all, Kathy, you're all about empowerment. You're about empowering people and helping people plug into higher consciousness. There is a Midrash. There is a teaching that some of you may have heard already, but I don't think people appreciate the depth of it, that in utero, before we're born, we're taught, the entire Torah, we're taught all of wisdom that we have, we're capable of. <sighs> before we're born, before we leave the womb, we have that innate. And then, and this is how the Midrash goes, the teaching goes. And then an angel touches you right here. That's that little indentation, right? And you forget everything. You forget everything. So the question is, what's the whole purpose of that teaching? About being taught and then forgetting. So it occurred to me, and then I'm going to share something that Rabbi Aaron shared that supported it was that, and this is so crucial for us to, for every child, every adult to know, that we have all the wisdom that we need already. Life isn't about putting in wisdom. It's about pulling out wisdom, pulling out the wisdom that we all have. We have all the wisdom that we need, innately, intuitively, everything that we need. So we're not, education isn't about or experience isn't about putting in, it's about pulling something out. And then David, Rabbi Aaron said the word education, the root of the word education is educe. And educe means to pull out. That's what it's all about. We have everything, we have all the wisdom. Every child, every adult, every soul has all the wisdom that they need. And we just have to access it, it's covered over.
0: Wow. I love that the word education comes from the word educe or like their relationship. I never thought of that. I want to ask you guys a question, which is this feeling of like, you can have all this awareness and practice in your life. And then once in a while, you just get hit by this wave of this feeling in your stomach. It's kind of like a homesick feeling or like an emptiness. And you think at a certain point, like, you're not going to bump up against that because, you know, reality is what it is, you know, the infinite, you know, and like, then why so much, it seems unnecessary, like the pain, right. And especially for highly sensitive folks, I feel like I constantly waking up thinking about world and my relationship to it and how to make a difference in it. And I, sometimes I'm like, God, I wish I could just be one of those people who like goes to Marie calendars and then goes home and watches like old law and order episodes goes (laughs) to bed. Like I never had one day of my life like that, you know? (laughs) And while I love that, I have a sense of mission and seeking. It's like, sometimes there's a feeling of like, okay, so at what point have I practiced memorizing enough of this quantum yummy expansion that this homesick feeling will go away? So what the hell is that feeling? And what am am I supposed to do with that? Just dance with it for the rest of my life? So is that just then something everyone has? Like, is it not just me? And what do you think about that? So David, you want to go first and then Rabbi Seidenfeld can answer?
2: Sure, Yeah. So I I heard this teaching that was sort of like one of these kind of life changers for me, which is that all of us are created with a God-shaped hole inside of us. And the idea is, it's almost like, I I was thinking just to sort of like give you a kind of like a a modern kind of like version of that, of the visual. You know what a USB port is? Sure. So it's almost like you have a USB port (laughs) right over here. (laughs) And why is it there? Why is that God-shaped hole there, right? It's so you can plug into the beyond. So the idea is is that if God is infinite and you have an aspect of God's infinity inside of you, which is your soul, so the idea of achieving the sense of completeness, which is what you're talking about, not only is that elusive, But it kind of runs contrary to the truth, because that aspect within you, and you described it as, did you describe it as a homesickness? Mm -hmm. So we are sort of like built in with this almost existential homesickness inside of us, because the godliness within us longs to unite with the ultimate godliness. And so God gives us this gift called yearning and striving. And what we have to do is, I think, psychologically, sort of like just refine that sense of almost cognitive dissonance that we feel like, why isn't it that what I have is enough? I'm accomplishing so much. Why isn't it enough? When is it going to be enough? And to get rid of that, because that's a false construct. Right. In other words, the idea, the truth of it is, God is infinite and we're finite. And that's the essential structure of the universe. And God gives us this gift of allowing us to yearn to, to unite with the infinite at all times. And so when we feel that emptiness, and by the way, so many people try to fill that God-shaped hole inside of them because they don't know it's a God-shaped hole. They just know something's missing. They try to fill it with, with food, with shopping, with money, with careerism, With all sorts of things, and they're they're shocked that nothing fills that God-shaped hole, because you know why? Like another visual here: if you think of like a jigsaw puzzle, you know when there's one piece missing, you can't jam the wrong piece in there; it won't work. Only the right piece fits in there. So since it's a God-shaped hole, the only thing that fits in there is God. So the step is first of all, you recognize it, which is great. And then you say to yourself, step two would be not to ask yourself, what's wrong with me? You say, what's right with me, (laughs) right? Like, thank God, I understand that this is a God-shaped hole. And then I say, okay, why would I ever feel complete? Why would I ever want to feel complete? Because the ultimate equilibrium or harmony of the universe is for me to be in a state of yearning for the divine. And to give you a fancy Hebrew word, all the tzaddikim, all of our holy ones, try to engage in this relationship called dveikis. Dveikis means to cleave, means this, this sense of cleaving, wanting to, ah, wanting to cleave. Yeah, it's the yetsahara, It's the, our, our evil inclination, our negative inclination that wants to convince us that, ah, finally now I feel complete.
0: It totally brought me to tears. I just wanted to tell you that. And I also wanted to say that I heard Ram Das say that the idea of dying for the soul transitioning into that next dimension is like taking off a very tight shoe for the soul. Cause it just gets to yeah. connect. And I think about Rabbi Aaron saying that his first one of his first knowings that he was moving towards Torah or wanting to be a rabbi or whatever, learn all of that was from going to concerts in those moments at a concert where everyone puts up their lighter and he would look around the stadium and everyone has their lighter on. And he would say, I don't know what this feeling is, but this is the feeling I'm after where everyone who's a stranger all of a sudden is one body and he couldn't get enough so he kept going to concerts thinking it was the music but it was really that and that is so beautiful to know you're right it's a false construct that's very helpful it's a whole paradigm shift and I guess it's something beautiful in a way because it's like et phone home like until we're home home you want to be home you want that you know
2: there's there's another visual that expresses this which is I think everyone knows what the horizon is but let me just tell you anyway. So when you're when you're standing on the beach and you see that line in the distance where the sky meets the water that's called the horizon. So maybe you'll say to yourself, "Wow, where the sky meets the water, I want to go there," right? So you so you start swimming, and then the line moves just a little bit further. Yeah. And you go, "Oh, I know what the problem is. I'm not swimming fast enough, so you hop in a motorboat and you speed and it gets just a little bit further. You know why? Because it's an illusion. It's an illusion. And we're never finished because we live amidst the infinite. So you never reach the infinite. And again, you, you just have to refine your your understanding of the universe. Because that's a blessing. That's actually a blessing. One of the stories that I heard, it was about a woman's journey toward Judaism. She was raised not knowing that she was Jewish, and she was very spiritual. I believe her name was Tova Mordechai, and she wrote a book about this. And anyway, I, I heard her story. It's a very amazing, compelling story. But she she grew up in this very strict Christian order in London, in England somewhere, And like they fed the people rotten food, actually rotten food, so that they wouldn't be attached to the physical, right? I mean, they were like this radical sect, basically. And she started rising in prominence there, and they were giving her opportunities to give sermons and things like that, right? And so one time she had to give a speech to the congregation, and she stood in front of her bookshelf, and she said you know, this is useless. I already know everything in all of these books. And then she said to herself, something's wrong. How can I possibly know everything about God? Something is wrong with this spiritual path that I'm on. And then she found out that in fact, that she was Jewish and everything like that. And she she started really tapping deeply into Judaism and Torah and everything like that. So the idea is, there's a blessing to never getting there, because if you, quote unquote, arrive, then in a way it's over. Yeah. And how can it be over if God is infinite? So I'll just end with this one kind of summation of, of all of this, which is that if you think you've arrived, that's the greatest proof that you have.
1: <laughs> May I piggyback for a second?
0: Yes, please. That,
1: David, that's amazing. Amazing. I came across an article. I wish I cut it out. I I have so many of these regrets of of, of articles that I never cut out by a psychologist. I don't even think he was a spiritual or religious personality. And he made the following observation. It it dovetails with everything that David just said and Kathy, you as well. He said, you're going to find something in the human world that you don't find in the animal kingdom. He says, you don't find excess, E-X-C-E-S-S in the animal kingdom. It's all about survival. Everything that they do, even if they're putting away stuff for the future, it's so that they can survive winters or whatever. So he says, what is it about the human being that makes them prone to pursuing more than they need? That's what excess is. I need this. I'm going to pursue more than I need. So he arrived at this radical conclusion. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't religious because that's what made it so radical. He said, the only rational conclusion I can arrive at is this. We're not just bodies, we're souls. If we're just a body, then you just pursue that which you need. But if you're a soul, every time you fill your body and you don't fill your soul, you're still hungry. You're still hungry. Because you're not feeding your soul, you're feeding your body. So you're going to pursue, you're going to be in this endless pursuit of that which you think will fill you up, but doesn't fill you up. And then I'll just finish with this, David, he's not here, but I'm going to bring him in. He used this wonderful analogy, have you ever walked over to a refrigerator, opened it up and stared at the refrigerator? Like most of us, okay, I want something to eat. You go then you, pay. you just stare at the refrigerator hoping something's going to speak to you. Why do you do that? So he asked this very simple question. Why do we do that? So his answer was because what you're looking for is in the freezer. No, only joking. So he said, the reason you do that, and then he says, then you close the refrigerator, you come back 10 minutes, and you open it up again, like something's changed. He said, the reason you do that is because you're not looking for food. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for stimulation that beyond food, and food will never fill that up. You're looking for a different food. You're looking for something that will nurture this deep yearning and craving that constantly um, captivates us and propels us.
0: Can I ask this question? That was beautiful. So yesterday I was interviewing uh, Licia Silverstone, who I want to bring to these conversations. I said to her, you know, just for her, like, where do you find peace? you know, what brings you peace. And she's like, honestly, one thing that brought me so much peace was breastfeeding. And it wasn't because it was breastfeeding. It was because when I would breastfeed, I was totally in the moment and I didn't need to do anything else or go anywhere. It like totally fulfilled being perfectly happy in the moment. So what's interesting though, is like, she and I had this conversation and she's like, I thought, could I just enjoy this being a mom? And then she's into all this activism with food and animals. And then she's like, and then a few years went by and I was like, wait, I want to act. Like I like acting. And then I thought, wait, what's wrong with you? You can't just be filled up by breastfeeding and being in the moment. And she's like, and I still haven't figured out that answer, but I just did three movies back to back. And I'm like back in the stream. And I feel like myself again. And then I'm sitting there going. I know that feeling of being in the moment and it's pretty amazing. And there were like three years where I studied John Kabat-Zinn's work and Thich Han, And I was like feeling like I was high every day, like looking at the 14 shades of green outside, like literally like high, I felt all the time being that present and practicing mindfulness and taking certain expeditions into like, you know, three-day silent meditation retreats. Like I was just doing that thing. And I, but then there was a part of me that kept having to like force myself to stay, just sit there and be present. And then I read this book by a rabbi who I think he passed away. He was a conservative rabbi. He wrote a book called Be Still and Get Going. And he said the difference mm-hmm. between Buddhism and Judaism is that we don't feel okay just in that part of sitting and being present because there's a whole world of things that we feel compelled to do something about. And it's so interesting because there's a part of me that's like, if I want to feel that wholeness that David, you're talking about, actually, when I just sit in the present moment, I feel like game over, like I'm good. But then there's a part of me that is like, you got stuff to do. And then I say to myself, what, what is this costing me? Like, what, what, why is this my job? Like, you know, I'm planning this big event, you know, to just get these ideas. Like now I'm doing this right. And the next thing and the next thing. And then I think, wait, is that my ego that needs to do these things? Like, what the hell? Like, can't you just emit Wi-Fi to the world by sitting with your kids on a bench? What are you doing? Why? why? So then I'm like, at what point is this about my ego needing to like be stimulated? Right. Like we moved into this beautiful house. I haven't had one moment free. And I'm like, maybe it's just because I needed to sabotage being in the space of resting. And I, I don't know how to juggle this. And at some point you're like, I'm the giving tree. Like I could just be home with my kids. Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Like that these 100,000 people out of 9 billion heard what I had to say. Honestly, like I think sometimes about that. So I think that that is interesting, the difference between Buddhism and Judaism and the present moment, because it really does feel like you fill that God-shaped hole when you sit your butt down and you are just fully unfolding into the present moment. But why don't we then just say, great, like why this, it's almost seems masochistic. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Kathy, Maybe, what do you- yeah. 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 Kathy,
3: isn't it? Yes. And both. I mean, we have to sleep at night. To restore our energy. When you have young children, you have to be there for them. You have to respond to their cries. And that takes you away from your big mission. But it's both. I mean, there's a saying that we can't complete the task. Our job is to participate in it. So your platform is there for so many, but find the balance, right? I just want to throw that in. Kathy,
1: I have to, I have to share something with you that speaks to what Lolly just said. In Shabbat, AKA the Sabbath, the root of the word Shabbat is shave, which means to sit the root of the word Shabbat. So one day a week, we sit with everything. We sit with ourselves. We sit with our families. We sit with our thoughts. We sit with our soul. But guess what? Shabbat is one day a week. There has to be this deep divine metaphysical balance between sitting and doing. We're not supposed to be sitting the whole time, but we absolutely definitely have to carve out time to sit. The week is for doing as well. So we have to find this metaphysical balance. And you see it really within the word for Shabbat, which is the day of spiritual reflection and rejuvenation.
0: That's it. I mean, that's a, that, that's a pretty darn good answer. David, what were you going to say?
2: So this idea of standing in front of the refrigerator and wanting more and everything <laughs> like that. So there's a... A quote from one of the Jewish prophets, from Amos, Behold, days are coming, says God, that I'm going to send a famine to the land, but the famine is not going to be, the hunger is not going to be for bread, and the thirst is not going to be for water, but to hear the word of the living God. And that's what it is. Like a lot of times, people are incredibly hungry. There is a great hunger in the world. And People want to be fed, but they don't know how to feed themselves. They're not in touch with what aspect of themselves are hungry, you know? And Kathy, you just sort of, how do you balance it and this and that? And Lolly, I think it is both and everything. I don't know why, but you reminded me something, just because I have my little book in front of me. I want to read you another short one. This is called The Fork in the Ladder. Right now, you are standing at a fork in the road. Many, terrified by the act of choosing, remain stuck there forever. Others contemplate the pros and cons offered by each path and also remain stuck there forever. The illusion that they'll one day know with certainty which path is correct blinds them to their own paralysis. Still, others ask themselves a simple question which path will bring more light to the world? Answering that question will allow you to move forward in life.
4: Mm. And
2: once you do, A new fork will appear before you and the process will begin again and then again. Lest you think you're not making progress, know this, with each path we choose, we bring more clarity into the world. You can think of it as an arduous trek through a dense forest or better still, as a ladder we are climbing to heaven.
4: Hmm.
2: And I think that's the idea. I think the idea is, when you reach this question, like Kathy, you were saying, Why am I doing this? Right? Maybe I should do it, maybe I shouldn't do it. Ask yourself the question, Which path will bring more light to the world? Right? And then know that it's like there's a teaching, Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who wrote the Zohar, right, which is the headquarters of our mystical tradition, and his son were walking, and the, the sun was just about to, to rise. And they saw one ray of light, and then another ray of light. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, you know, said to his son, so these are the greatest masters, right? He said, this is how the redemption is going to come, one ray of light at a time. That's how it's going to happen. So, So the idea of saying, is reaching X number of people when they're A 100 or a million times X in the world, that's a false question. That that, that question itself is a false question, because we know that this is exactly how it's going to happen. And whether it's one person or one conversation, or whether it's a auditorium filled with people, this is the process.
0: And it's so beautiful. It brings me to tears. And what you just said is so important and helpful, because there's always an equal amount of contrast in the world. And so there's a ton of light, and there's a ton of darkness, and it just sometimes feels like, what is any of this going to do, you know? But to hear that from, you know, the highest of the high, it yeah. really is. And, and, so and ask
2: yourself, I mean, this is really the path of Kutzk. The Kutzkarebi is one of the greatest Jewish masters, and and he was all about truth, right? And part of his path of service was for a person to ask themselves before they say something or before they do something, why am I doing this? Is this for me or is this for God? In other words, you know, am I doing this to make my name greater in the world, or am I doing this to increase God's light and make God's name greater in the world? And a lot of times the answer could be both because if a person is sincere, it could be both. so then you just take one extra second and say okay, God, I think this is going to make your name greater. But I think it's also going to make my name greater. But I just want you to know, <laughs> I'm it to make your name greater. <laughs> and then that little moment of clarity is worth a zillion trillion dollars. Because you're purifying your soul at that moment. And you're not, you're not allowing the Yetzirah, the negative inclination, to shut you down.
0: Jenny, I want you to share something. I want you to talk.
5: Hey guys. So, uh, well, I was just thinking that um there's like some idea that you should have like your house not be completely perfect. There should be one little thing that's not totally right because Jerusalem isn't fixed. So neither are we or this whole world. And so we need to remember that coming from someone with two married parents. It's There's still like this, uh, you know, broken piece in all of us that's totally present. And uh, I've heard Sarah Yehudit Schneider talk about this Hashmal, which is like electricity in Hebrew, but it also means that we have to like bear paradox. And so there's like maybe this like beautiful aspect of like our home life. But then we see that like the world is so broken out there and we have to be able to like wear both of these, uh, you know, hats and add and do good in both of these realms. And... I've also heard. I think uh, the Balshemzov says something like, "You can have your own little Mashiach experience, but then there's also like the bigger Mashiach, and like we we can, you know, do whatever you do to like get off, get high, if it's, you know, with learnings and this and that in your own little realm. But that like seeing all the brokenness, like we just acknowledged during Tisha B'av, that like that's all out there still, and and like getting out there and repairing that is part of this bigger Mashiach experience. I heard Sarah Schneider also say something that like even if you're uh, like floating in like the most like beautiful Riviera. Like you get yourself to like just the most joyous possible place you can in this world. It's like infinitesimal next to like the joy that's going to be when like we all come back together. And so, uh, whatever even these little joys are, they're like small in comparison to like doing the good that's out there that needs to be done. So that's what some of this is making me think of.
2: Yeah. You know, and I heard a visual from Reb Shlomo Karla that was, very healing for me because, you know, we can articulate these two instincts that we have in a way that sort of creates dissonance, you know, things are so good in my life, but they're so broken out there and endless forms of that dynamic. So how do we marry them and make them one idea instead of like being at war with ourselves? And so here's what he said. And I just thought this was beautiful. He said, you always have to be in a place of joy on the inside of your heart. He said, with the outside of your heart, you can cry. But the inside of your heart always has to be in a place of joy. And I love that because it it reconciles these two very human instincts and puts them in a place where we can have wholeness instead of being in this constant struggle with ourselves, where we allow both of them to exist together, but understanding how to prioritize them. In the inside of our heart, it's always got to be a place of joy, but we can cry with the outside of our heart.
0: Debbie uh, raised her hand. Debbie, you want to say something? I,
6: I just want to offer a different set of words that instead of it being broken outside, it's just separate. And I think that once the thing that is feeling separate and so it shows up as angry or, you know, like corrupt power or whatever, because that's really what like separation comes as an ugly expression. And I feel like everything wants to belong, right? So all the evil in the world wants to know love, know that it's enough to also be included. Is this making sense? And if when we find a way to give that also a place like to integrate it back in and wholeness again, can be felt and known by all the parts and it doesn't feel separate anymore. It's not broken. I'm having a hard time fully expressing it, but does anybody hear me?
1: Debbie, I think I understand what you're saying. And it reminded me of of an encounter that I had, and I never believe that encounters are random. I was driving in Brentwood and right near the veterans building where there are a, a lot of homeless encampments, And I saw a homeless person with a sign that I will never, ever forget. And I believe that each person is here for two reasons. We're here to be students and we're here to be teachers. Each individual has something to teach. Each individual has something to learn. This person was my teacher. I will never, ever see him again. But in a fleeting moment, he taught me something beautiful. He held up a sign, scraggly beard, very disheveled. And the sign read, I'm broke but not broken.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm broke, but not broken. He taught me, you can feel a little bit broke in some aspects of your life, but it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to limit you. It doesn't have to diminish you. And there can be a coexistence of those realities. I heard a, a much uh, lighter version
2: of what you just said. Um, <laughs> But it it was from Rabbi Pesach Krohn, who's a, a great light. And he said that he was at the airport. And, you know, when you're in the like, when you first walk in to the terminal, and there are lots of different lines, and there are workers from the different airlines trying to sort out the people to where they should go to make everything work very efficiently. So he someone came up to him from the airline and said, Are you first class? And he said, Yes, I am first class. I'm flying economy, but I'm first class, you know? Yeah. So, so I love that. And and just Debbie, off of kind of what you're saying, you know, you made me flash on another dynamic, which I think is connected to what you're saying, which is, I think there's a very important distinction and this, this is getting kind of deep already, but a very important distinction that people, that we have to know, that we really have to like integrate into our consciousness, which is, The difference between these two key words, concealment and abandonment, concealment and abandonment. And and I'm talking about God right now and God's light. And let me just explain. According to Torah, our faith, God is equally present here around us right now on this call, in our rooms, in this world, amidst all the war and suffering and all the loneliness, all the rest. God is 100% as present in our dimension as he is in the highest dimensions of heaven. He's 100% present right here, right now. It's just, he's more concealed. So that's a very important thing to understand that God is totally here right now, yes. um, but he's just concealed. So concealment is not abandonment. We're not abandoned at all. In fact, we're in God's arms right now. But there is this level of concealment. And then there's all sorts of ideas like, why is there concealment? And for what heavenly purpose is there concealment? And I'll just give you a quick answer to that question, because I don't want to leave it hanging. But these are much larger ideas. But it's just so that we should have, human beings should have free choice. Because if everything were openly revealed, there would be only one path that we could choose. It says that the angels in heaven don't have free choice because they see a revelation of godliness, which isn't complete. Only God sees all of God. But but they see something radically larger than we do.
3: Hallie right. put a comment. Hallie, do you want to share that? I don't even know what I wrote, but I'm just saying I can't stop thinking about the giving tree. And how I don't want any of us to be stumps at the end of our lives. And how to shift that narrative that's been so ingrained in all of us from the beginning that we have to give and give and give and give and give. And I think it's the opposite. We should be this. I mean, we should give, but we should be growing too. And this growing tree at the end, that's what I uh, wish for Kathy and for everyone here. And I'm going to write a new book to test the giving tree. I'm starting a revolution today against the giving tree. (laughs)
0: I'm with you. And I just, I asked Rabbi Aaron that the other day, and we were talking on WhatsApp and he said, you know, we connect most when we give. So if you don't let people give to you, you deny them feeling connected to you. And he was obviously being so, so sweet. And he's like, one of the greatest gifts I've ever had is like the little I've gotten to connect to you, but you never answer my calls, which is true. He calls me at least three times a week. And he goes, why, why don't you answer my call? And I said, cause I don't want to take your time is the truth. And he's like, but I want to give it to you. I'm like, I know, but I feel like unworthy unless I'm like giving you a stage or giving you a donation or, you know, and he's like, well, that has to change, you know? So it's interesting when you think of it that way, that by letting people give, you're giving them an amazing opportunity to feel connected. And he said, when people give, it's not based on what you earned. People give because they're feeling generous and they're in the stream. They're like connected to the the stream. And when people are connected that way, it feels so good to receive from them. It's not from ego. It's not from what they need from you. There's no agenda. It's just, they want to be kind. They're enjoying it. And it feels so warm and fulfilling. Like Jenny's always making sure my water is filled up when I'm at her house And Rachel at her house, she's like getting me a blanket, making sure the pillow is like, right. but it's like, she's not doing that because she has an agenda other than like her soul is just generous. And I think when we can witness generosity from a space of not having to think of how we earned that generosity, but more just marvel at how beautiful it is when people are dancing in connection to the divine and you just get to be a witness to, to love that's unconditional and you get to be a recipient of it sometimes. And you just see, wow, this person is such a beautiful vessel right now.
3: You know, our dear friends, we want to connect and give to each other. How do you open yourself up to basically headline to the world that you're also open for receiving? That is such
0: a good question. That's probably like, you know, when you're playing a video game and you pass certain lives, I feel like I've like done a really good job of like moving through boards. Like that's the board I'm on. (laughs) I'm like, okay, where's the Super Mario guy? Where did he go? You know, so um, David, how do you open yourself up? If you're giving, 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 and you want to also create the balance in receiving, how do you broadcast to the world that you're willing to receive when you're just so used to, it's like a survival skill, you know? But that's a really interesting question. How do we open ourselves up to being, because when you breathe, you don't breathe in a little bit. You breathe fully and then you exhale fully and your heart, when it pumps, it takes blood fully and then fully puts it back into the body. So for something to be fully in transmission with Hashem, with the infinite, has to fully come in and fully be a current that goes in and out. And there are a lot of people who are do-gooders who really get this mission and then feel really alive when they're in giving, but then don't actually allow the cup to be full. And that is not good. That would be in scarcity in a different way.
1: I think a lot of people don't understand and you're you're touching on it, is that the greatest gift that you can give to another person is to receive from that person. That's the greatest gift that you can give that person because it means what it communicates to that person is that that person has something to give. It gives him the gift of dignity. So by receiving, it's not a selfish endeavor. It's actually the highest form of giving. The highest form of giving is to receive. So number one, we have to stop feeling uncomfortable with receiving because it's self-absorbed. And I'm just focusing on myself. It's your, your receiving and giving at the same time. The Hebrew word for giving is natan. It's a palindrome. It's spelled the same way backwards and forwards. You give and it comes back. You give and it comes back.
0: I went to dinner with Debbie and some friends at like a really fancy restaurant. And obviously I was going to pay and I was happy about it. Like really happy, you know, and Debbie's like taking the check. And I'm like, no, no, you, you can't pay for dinner and stop it. And she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to pay for it. And it was at the country club I belong to in Boca. So I'm like, Well, not only can you not pay, but I actually get a 15% break because I'm a member. So that may be ridiculous for you to pay. And then she says, the waiter, I'm still paying. So I'm like, it's going to cost you 15% more. She goes, you know, it's amazing. Look how much you've been willing to manifest and co-create. And you're this spiritually poor, really? Do you understand what you could actually let in if you had the ability to just receive receive too? oh my gosh, like, this is you like spiritually bankrupt on some level and you're doing pretty well. So I let her pay. And that's like the first and only time, like I've let someone pay for dinner, but Lolly and I have had that. And she gets so mad. She's like, I really don't like it. Like, I really want to do this thing for you. And then you like trump it by like sending me something or doing something. And it's because like, you couldn't, and then she goes, and then I don't feel that I could just like give that. So please don't do that. And it's, Look at me. I got nervous. I had to like move my sleeves. It's like, it's got to stop. It's ridiculous. And I think what it is, lol, and I realized this because my stepmom, I never let my stepmom or dad do anything for me. And then right before we left, Eliza had a birthday and she's like, I'm taking everyone to the melting pot. I'm paying. And I was like, my oh, my stomach. And so I was like, okay. So I let her pay. And when we walked out, she said, I think you just learned to trust me because you let me be close you created intimacy. Mm. You never let me give to you. You're basically saying, F you, like, you're not going to, it's that, you know, like intimacy is, I don't feel like I have to have my survival skills. I can let you, you know, but there've been so many times where, you know, so many of you on this call have like given so much in moments where I feel like I can't equal it back. And then what happens is like tears, like just this feeling of like, not it's being worthy. worthy. And Rabbi Aaron was like, you're not earning it anyway. There's no nothing you can do to earn unconditional love because it's unconditional. So like, that's where you got to throw that out. But it's it's amazing. And it's egocentric. That's not soul. Your soul doesn't do that. Your soul <laughs> can give an endless amount and receive an endless amount. That's all that's natural from a soul perspective.
1: Debbie wanted to say something.
0: I just heard something in, in what you
6: said. And it's like, I heard maybe that you know that your love is real and safe and can be trusted. And so you give that out, but you don't, for whatever, whenever you register this, whenever you decided this is a truce, that not all the expressions of love that are coming towards you are honest and safe to let in. And it is this practice of being vulnerable, you know, and- when someone extends love to you, right. In the form, whatever it is. So like for you, it comes in like them taking care of you and you a meal, whatever it is, that expression of love for you to try to feel safe in that moment, try to trust it, that it's true. It's real.
0: That's so beautiful. That's really very insightful.
6: And you can just play with it and how lucky. I mean, We're all learning like to feel safe and let love in because that is God, right? That connection, that point of receiving love, that is the experience of God. So we're all learning it in new ways. And like, in a way, like you can be grateful that yours comes in such a, it's kind of like a fun, simple way to play with it (laughs) for a meal with a friend offering to pay for you. You know what I mean? Like there's so many other ways that that could have been your exercise.
0: Yeah, totally.
3: So Can funny. I just share very quickly how I learned this lesson? Many years ago, our dear friend Uriella comes to my door on a Friday before Shabbat. She was going to come to our house as a guest, and she comes with a big platter of something. And I'm standing at the door, and I say, no, 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 I can't take that. No, please, it's too expensive. You use it. You take it. She walks away half, halfway down my path, and she turns around, and she comes back like this and teaches me about the art and the gift of receiving And that's how I learned my lesson. And from there, as uncomfortable as it is oftentimes, and I'm still this way, take a deep breath. Thank you. Reception comes in so many ways throughout our day, whether it's the blessings in our day or a spouse or a friend, child. Thank you.
0: I met with, I don't know if you guys know him because he's kind of on the periphery of this world, but he's a very important music attorney. His name is Donald Passman, and he wrote this book called This Is Music, and he was everybody's Music attorney. And when I was 24, I sent him a demo of me and he took a meeting with me. And his office was like two doors down from where Barney's used to be on Wilshire. So I was 24. So I didn't have a lot going on, you know, money wise, but I was the same person with the same (laughs) build in some ways. So I went to Barney's and I bought him like a tie and like, I don't know, something for his wife, this like beautiful pendant. And we went to his office and he sat down with me and he's like this really menschy Jewish guy. And he was like, let me make some calls for you. And he like reached out to a couple of record labels for me. It was like insane. Like these things just don't happen. And um, I handed him this gift and he pushed it back across the table. And he said, you are the gift. You don't have to do that. Don't do that. Mm. And I started to cry because I felt like I did something wrong. And then he goes, no, 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 no. I just don't usually do this, but there was something about the way you wrote to me. And then I like, there was something in your voice and I just decided to do it. So if you do that, then I feel like maybe you don't get that. I just wanted to do that. Mm. So don't do that. And so I walked out with it. And at first I was like humiliated, like, oh, he thinks I'm bribing him, but he didn't think that. He just felt like, don't rob me of doing something nice. Like, you know, I get paid a lot of money to do a lot of things, but I just like to sometimes do things because it's, I get a different kind of reward. Mm. And so I walked out with it, (laughs) like walked back to Barney's and returned it. And it was a big message to myself. So I think about how this has been like a through line in my life, but in so many lives, you know? When I do nice things for Michelle, she's like, I can't believe you did that for me.
3: Like, well, I was just going to say like, Kathy's the first person who like, she bought me this sweater within five minutes and I was so uncomfortable because no one's ever done that for me. I could cry.
0: Yeah, we met at the Hotel Bel Air like a while back for a meeting. And then we were in the gift shop and I was getting something for you Lol, actually. I was buying you a gift card and I was standing with Michelle. And then there was this really cute purple cashmere sweater and I was like, oh my God, you need it. You like need this. And And she was like, like, wait, what? And like, we just met. And then I was like, you just, you just have to have this. But, um, you know, I'm the kind of person who does this with everything I have. You know, if it's my time, my words, my love, like it's it's all of it. Anything I can give away, I try to give it away. And I don't even think about it, but all of this is so important because I think we all need this lesson. This is like acupuncture. It's like, let the energy flow in and out don't bottle it up, you know? So does anyone have any final like thoughts this week to sort of bring us into Shabbat? Yeah, go ahead, David.
2: I'll just share one thing. I do want to maybe just try to reconcile some of the different threads of the conversation and put it together for a moment. So we talked about striving and that sometimes we think that, well, why am I not feeling complete, Right. And we said that because really this God-shaped hole inside of us creates striving and we're never supposed to arrive. And that's a beautiful thing because just just more and more beauty, right? So that's maybe on one end of the, the spectrum. And then we talked about receiving, but receiving in a legitimate way where we authentically need to be able to receive and that that's a very real thing. So that's sort of like a counterbalance. So we talked about that aspect as well. And then I just want to throw in a new idea. And that's the concept of enough, meaning allowing something to be enough. And I'll give you an example, which is this is in the Holy Temple, which was sort of like the headquarters of God's presence in the world, like God fills the whole world. But that was sort of, you know, the headquarters. You had all these interesting things in it, like the golden menorah. You had the Ark that held the holy tablets from the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. So, you know, you you had all these amazing holy things in there. And they also had something called the the Shulchan, which means the table. And it had these 12 loaves of bread there that miraculously stayed fresh all week. And it was a golden table. And on a mystical level, we say that all the livelihood for the world, all the wealth and the, the Shefa of the world, all the material blessing, would come into the world and sort of like land on this golden table with the bread and then kind of like dissipate and scatter and spread throughout the entire world, okay? And now I'm getting to the point of why I'm bringing all this up is that when God sort of tells us how to build this table, and by the way, the tables in our home, our dining room table, especially where we have our Shabbat meal is a miniature of this, okay? But when we constructed this Shulchan, this table in the Holy Temple, the Torah gives a very fascinating detail, which is that there has to be a border made around it in gold. Hmm. And the Kli who is one of the great Torah commentaries, explained that you have to be able to have the concept of enough. And it's so fascinating that it's not just any border. It's a golden border. In other words, the border itself is not sort of like, okay, we've had enough good times, you know, like throwing on the the house lights in the middle of like this, like house party, right? Which is like kills the mood, right? It's a golden border. It's a golden border. And I remember I had a conversation with my son who like works at a big hedge fund in New York called Citadel, if you ever heard of it. And he was on this track. He was younger. He was still in the house. He hadn't moved out yet but you know, he was going to go into finance. And I said to him, how much is going to be enough for you to have in the bank account? (laughs) Because I knew that the way that, you know, society sort of like educates us is that, you know what the definition of enough is just a little bit more than I have. That's for most people, the definition of, of enough. Right. So I said to him, I said, give me a number how much you need to have in the bank account that will be enough for you? And he's like, how can I possibly know? I'm like, it's okay. It doesn't, you can change this number, but I want you to give me a number. Wow. And I wouldn't allow him to stand up from the table. And he said, well, okay, maybe I'll have approximately these many kids and education is approximately gonna cost this. And then I'd want about this much amount of money in the bank account per se, you know, just to feel like safe okay. And then he gave me a number. And I was like, Mazel Tov. Like, we reached an enough moment. We reached the golden border. And so, this idea of enough is, I think, a very healing, beautiful idea. Because it's true, we can always do more. And it's true that we can always open ourselves to receive more. But this also has to be a factor in part of the conversation of arriving at this place of enough, not as an indictment, but the golden border of enough, where it's a beautiful place to be and to say, you know what, this is where I am now, and that's okay. All right, with that in mind, I'm going to wish you all a great week and a great Shabbos. So long, everyone. Thank you, Kathy, for giving me this opportunity
1: to share some thoughts.
4: That was amazing. See you later,
1: David. Kathy, before I jump off, because we're talking about ripple effects, 100,000 people, whatever. For me, a big um, lesson that I try to communicate to a lot of people individually is that each life has a ripple effect. I don't think people realize that. I don't think people realize because it's because quite often it's hidden how you impact the world. No one sees how they impact the world. Physical growth isn't, you can't discern it according to the naked eye. You don't know how you impact the world. But we impact the world invisibly in ways that would surprise us, that we can't possibly see. And you see this idea, and with this I'll close, you see this idea, an idea that I saw a while ago, that the Torah, the scroll, if one letter is deficient, the entire Torah is disqualified. You can have one letter that has a break in it, and you can't read from the Torah. And the parallel to that is the fabric of of humanity. One soul is deficient. The entire thing is sort of like incomplete. So each person brings something to the table that reverberates in the world and contributes to the world in ways that is unfathomable to that person, but is palpable to the world.
0: So beautiful. What an incredible way to close this. I love you guys so much.
1: Take care. Everybody. So much.
0: Have the most amazing day. Have a great. See you, you next Kathy. week. My goodness, such an enlightening conversation. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, let go of your grievances. It's not a loss. It's a win. Those grievances were never your friends. Leave them by the side of the road and hit the gas. You have no idea how much lighter you're going to feel. Number two, we all have the wisdom that we need before we even born. Life isn't about putting in wisdom. It's about pulling out all the wisdom that we have already. Number three, all of us were created with a God-shaped hole inside of us. It's there so you can plug into the beyond. God gives us this gift of allowing us to unite with the infinite at all times. Number four, with each path we choose, we bring more clarity into the world. It's not about should I do it or not. Instead, ask yourself the question, am I doing this to make my name greater in the world? Or am I doing this to increase God's light in the world? That little moment of clarity is worth a zillion dollars. You're purifying your soul and you're not allowing the negative inclination to shut you down. Number five, you can feel broke in some aspects of your life, but it doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to limit you. It doesn't have to diminish you. Number six, the greatest gift that you can give to another person is to receive from them. It lets that person know that they have something to give. It gives them the gift of dignity. Receiving is not a selfish endeavor. It's the highest form of giving. Number seven, we can always do more, but it's okay to arrive at the golden border of enough and say, you know what, this is where I am now and that's okay. And number eight, every life has a ripple effect. Each person brings something to the table that reverberates in the world and contributes to the world in ways that are unfathomable to that person, but it's palpable to the world. Well, I just can't tell you how much I love you. I'm so thankful for you. The word gratitude barely scratches the surface, but I know that we wouldn't be doing any of this without you. So thank you. There are so many good episodes that are coming up. So please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you're really loving the show and you want to show some gratitude for this podcast, please make sure that you leave us a review because it helps us so, so much. And you could also take a second and text the link to the show to someone or post about the show on your Instagram because that also helps us so much and it might also touch somebody else's life. Also, be on the lookout on my Instagram. We're doing something fun for Black Friday tomorrow, so go and check that out at kathy.heller. I wish you a beautiful weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to all who celebrate. Here's a song of mine. Have a beautiful weekend.